All right. Good morning, Cop Prairie. This is Pastor Chris, and I am here to share today's message. We're continuing our series entitled The Monsters We Become, where we've been taking some of the classic monsters and asking, how is it that we can become like them in our lives or in our spiritual lives if we're not careful? And so two weeks ago, Dan talked about vampires, people who suck the life out of us. And then last week, he talked about ghosts, people who are stuck in the past. And today, we're going to be talking about werewolves. Now, werewolves often play second fiddle to a lot of the other monsters. They're not as sexy as vampires, or as trendy as zombies, or as enduring as ghosts. But... If we get really nerdy about it, and we're going to, because I'm a nerd, werewolves might actually predate most of the other monsters. In fact, in the Epic of Gilgamesh, which is often considered to be the oldest piece of Western literature that we've ever found, it mentions a man who was turned into a wolf. And then in Greek mythology and Nordic folklore, we see the same theme of a wolf-like beast, a person. And then in the 1500s, there were three different men in France that became serial killers. But to cover their tracks or to make an excuse, they claimed that at night they were turning into a wolf, and that's why they were committing these crimes. And eventually these stories became so well known that they started appearing in the pages of books. And, and then in 1941, even in Hollywood, with the release of the film The Wolfman. And then 44 years after that, werewolf culture hit its absolute peak with this unforgettable scene. Yeah, that's pretty epic. In more recent years, MTV actually remade Teen Wolf. It was quite a bit edgier than the original 1980s movie. And I know that because my wife has watched all seven seasons. All seven seasons. 
Yeah. And then werewolves were pitted against vampires in the Twilight books and movies. Hashtag Team Jacob. But all of that brings me to this question. Why are werewolves such a lasting part of our imaginations? Why are they still a part of the cultural conversation? And the answer to that is that I actually think that werewolves are relatable. And I'm not just talking about guys who have too much back hair. No, I'm, I'm talking about this idea that people in the right conditions can become something different, something more savage or scary. A couple weeks ago, I was watching a true crime documentary on Netflix about a guy named Chris Watts who does something absolutely horrible. And I'm not going to get into the details of it. I'll let you watch it yourself. But one of the fascinating things was that in a lot of the footage, you would hear the people around him say things like, I could have never seen him doing something like this. Or, or he seemed like such a normal guy. And you know, maybe not to that extreme, but I think all of us have experienced that to some degree. That someone around us became a monster. Or let me ask it this way, and you can answer this in the chat. It'll pop up here in just a second. But how many of us have had someone in our life change and become something else? I'll give you just a second to click the button if that's something you connect with. But, but yeah, I, I think most of us have experienced this. As someone we knew or maybe even someone we loved transformed into someone else. Sometimes that transformation takes place over a long period of time. At the beginning of college, they acted one way, but at the end of college, they acted another. Or when we got married, this is who they were. But when we got divorced, I didn't know them anymore. Or sometimes the transformation takes place in a moment. We got in a fight and they said things I could have never imagined them saying. They hurt me. Or once they got elected, once they got promoted, they only cared about themselves. The power changed them. Or whenever they start drinking, I don't recognize them anymore. See, we all know people that at least at times have become a monster. They've transformed into something more savage or scary. And that brings me to an even tougher question. How many of us have changed and become someone else? At least for a season. You know, a couple days ago, I was on a run. And I was listening to a podcast. It's entitled The History of the 90s. And as someone born in 1982, it's kind of fun to relive those prime years of my life. And it talks about the historical and cultural impact that that decade had. 
And they pick different topics, some serious and some fun that they talk about. And the one that they were discussing in that episode was Vanilla Ice, a reference you probably didn't expect to hear this morning. But they tell the story of a guy who goes from a high school dropout to one of the biggest stars in the world to the punchline of a joke in less than a year. And as everything came crashing down, he turned to drugs, some pretty heavy drugs. And in the podcast, they play a clip of an interview where he makes the statement, I lost myself. I didn't know who I was anymore. And in that that moment, I connected with him. I never really thought I'd find myself saying I connected with Vanilla Ice, but, but I did. Because I've been there. I've had times where I woke up, walked into the bathroom, looked in the mirror and thought, I don't know who that is. I don't know who God's created me to be. Or I know who God's created me to be, but I don't know how to be that person. I think it's fair to say that we, we've all had times where we've lost our identity. We forgot who we were. Maybe that's happened to you. Maybe it was a time when you didn't feel in control. You felt like something was causing you to transform into someone else. I think we all know or have become a werewolf at times, someone else. And that's what we're going to talk about today. And in each week of this series, we've been taking a parable of Jesus, where we see this monster, maybe not literally, but we see them in the story, and we ask, what can we learn from this parable that can prevent us from becoming that monster? And so what I want to do now is I want to look at at a story that Jesus tells in Matthew 24, starting in verse 45. Now, right before this, Jesus is explaining that someday he's going to come back. And when he does, he wants people to be ready. And as he's trying to tell them how to be ready, he tells them this. He said, a faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. And so in other words, the master is going to go away and it's saying that he's going to pick a faithful, sensible servant to hand things over to. And that seems logical. Ask any parent, if you're going to leave home, You want to be able to trust your child is going to be able to take care of things while they're alone, especially if they have siblings. You're going to want to pick a sibling, one of your children that is, well, faithful and sensible or reasonable or trustworthy, someone you know can handle that responsibility. You know, a CEO is not going to leave a company and walk up to an entry-level employee who's been there like three days and say, hey, it's yours. I'm going on vacation. Good luck. No. The CEO, the parent, the master, they're going to pick someone that they believe can handle the job. They're going to pick someone they think they know. 
know good enough that they can hand them the keys. And that's what this master is doing here. So I think, you know, a little background is that we know that the servant that he's talking about is someone that he feels like he knows and someone he can trust. A faithful, sensible servant. And it says that the master returns and finds that servant has done a good job. There will be a reward. If he comes back and everything's been taken care of, he's going to get a bonus. And then he goes on and he says, I tell you the truth. The master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant is evil and thinks, my master won't be back for a while, and he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk? It says, the master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut the servant into pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is a brutal end to that parable. It's one of those endings that doesn't sound a whole lot like Jesus. And I, I think it's an important side note here that when we read those things, when Jesus tells parables, he doesn't mean them in the most literal way. He's telling a story to make a theological point, and they're full of hyperboles and exaggerations to help get that point across. So don't get hung up on that last line there, but I instead want us to think about the servant and the servant's behavior. Because it's this idea that the master thinks he knows the servant, but what if he leaves and the servant becomes something else? Something more savage and scary. And, and this is the parable that Jesus uses to talk about us. And what it can be like if we become someone else. You notice it says there that the master comes back unannounced and unexpected. And I think that's important. Because being who God created to be isn't just being that person when we're being watched. It's not just about behaving when our parents are home. But it's about being that person all the time in front of people and not in front of people. That's what God calls us to do. And I know I find that really convicting because sometimes I don't feel like I'm always that person, that consistency is not there. But Jesus says sometimes the servant can be put into a situation and if he's not careful, he can become evil and take advantage of that situation. He can transform into something else. And so what I want to do for the rest of this message is I want to ask, what causes a werewolf to become a werewolf? And what can we do to prevent it? How do you stop a werewolf? And we're going to draw our inspiration both from the stories throughout history of werewolves, but also this parable. And when you look at the causes of what turns a werewolf into a werewolf, there's really two things that's pretty consistent across all the stories that we see. One is it's at night, and two, there's a full moon. And I want to dive into that first part. It's at night. It's in the darkness. And what I think we can learn from that is that there are certain places 
and certain times that make it easier for us to transform and become someone else. Very rarely do you watch a movie or read a book about a werewolf where they transform in the middle of the day while they're standing in Walmart. Outside of that clip in Teen Wolf, we don't see that very often. Instead, it's at night with a full moon. And so my question to you is this. Where is your darkness? When is your night? What are the situations that make it easier for you to transform? Sometimes this is a physical place. You know if you go to that bar, you have a good chance of becoming someone you're not. You know if you hang out with those people at their house, there's a good chance of you becoming someone you're not. Or maybe even on an everyday level, you know if you walk into that coworker's office, there's a good chance of you becoming someone you're not. Maybe it's you begin gossiping. Maybe it's you lose your temper. Maybe it's you begin thinking in a way that you know God doesn't want you to think. You know, sometimes that's a digital place. You know if you log on to that website, you become someone you're not. You know if you begin texting that person, you become someone that you're not. And I think it's important for us to stop and ask, where is our darkness? When is our night? So that we can do a better job of avoiding those places when possible. So much of the temptation that we experience in life and in faith comes from when we put ourselves in a situation where we're tempted. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, we pray those words, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In other words, don't let us go into those places that are tempting us, but instead pull us out of that and put us in good places where we can be who we were created to be. So that's one of my questions for you to be thinking about this week. Where is your darkness? When is your night? And then the other part of that is the full moon. What are the external factors that influence you to change, to transform? Is it people? Are there certain people you hang out with that you know influence you? Is it certain things that you read? Certain things that you watch, certain things that you listen to that influence you and change you into someone you're not. Jesus says in both Matthew and Luke that the things that we put in affect the things that come out. The things that we allow in our body, they change how we think and then in turn how we speak and how we act. What are you letting influence you? What's your full moon? What causes you to transform? Like I said, that could be a person. That can be a substance. That could be a form of media. That can be an activity that you begin to do and you know when you do, you're going down that road. So those are the questions. Because you transform at night and in a full moon. But let's move on to that question of how do we prevent it? Now, in stories about werewolves, we see two kind of things that jump out at us when it comes to stopping a werewolf from doing damage. The first 
is a silver bullet. And I'm not advising you to try to find silver bullets. We're going to use that as a metaphor, and we're going to ask the question, what is the silver bullet that can stop us or even someone around us when we or they transform into a werewolf? And I think that that silver bullet is the Word of God. You know, the Bible describes itself like a double-edged sword that cuts into us down to the bone in the marrow and reveals who we really are, especially in that moment. And maybe in the context of werewolves, we could translate it that the Word of God is that silver bullet. You know, so often I find myself when, I, when I'm drifting away from who God wants me to be, when I'm beginning to transform and become a monster, it's when I open this book right here that I'm reminded of who I am. Not based on what I say, but based on what God says. And you will often find it's the people who spend the most time in Scripture that seem most confident in their identity of who they are. You know, I have a daughter. She's nine. And she's just now getting to this age where identity is becoming a real issue for her. And sometimes when she struggles, she's really honest with us. She says, I don't like who I am. And it's in those moments that we sit her down and we look her in the eyes and we remind her who she is. I'm her dad. Sally's her mom. We know better than anyone who she is. And sometimes she just needs that reminder that she's wonderful, that she's beautiful, that she's smart, that she's funny, that she's sassy, that she's crazy, and she's, she's wonderful. And sometimes we need to sit down with our Heavenly Father and let our Heavenly Father remind us who we are. If you're struggling with what I mentioned earlier, if you're struggling with this loss of identity, this looking in the mirror and not knowing who's looking back, if that's you, I encourage you to mark out time in the day, especially at the beginning of the day, when you know it's going to set the tone for the rest of the day. Sit down, open up your Bible, open up your heart, open up your mind, and, and talk to God. Read God's Word, and let God remind you who you are. One of my favorite parts of the Bible, it's a psalm, where the psalmist tells us that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We were knit together in our mother's womb. I love that image of God taking the time to form us, to create us, to design us into who he wants us to be. One of the verses Dan often refers to in the New Testament says that we are God's masterpiece. We are his artwork. And we live in a world, though, that's bombarding us with messages of who we should be. Commercial after commercial tells us that. Sometimes my heart breaks for young girls, young women, because of the messaging that they receive. There's such a pressure that the world puts on them to be something that they're not. And I can, I, it's so easy to see how someone can lose themselves in all of those messages. 
And so I encourage you to pick up this message, spend time in it, and be reminded of who you are. This is the silver bullet that can stop the werewolf from hurting others. You know, one of the things I encourage you to do is to have an accountability partner. This is a mentor or a friend who you've made an agreement with that you two can be brutally honest with each other, that you can ask each other the hard questions. And so it's, it's this idea of having someone in your life that you can go to and say, if I ever begin to transform, tell me, remind me what this book says. Use the silver bullet in a loving and caring way, but help prevent me from doing damage when I start to transform. You know, one of the other themes that we see when we read books and watch movies about werewolves. Yeah, I referenced earlier the seven seasons of Teen Wolf. Now, I have to admit that I saw a lot of those episodes myself. And one of the reoccurring things that kept happening is that people would begin to transform into werewolves and then they had to go through the process of learning how to control that. And I think that's important for us too, to realize that all of us are going to have times, we're going to have places and times, situations that transform us into someone else or at least tempt us to transform into someone else. And just being real and acknowledging that and then learning how to control that, I think that is so essential in preventing us from doing damage. You know, there's a great story that this awesome teacher and author I know, Parker Palmer, he tells. Now he wrestles with anxiety and at points in his life it's been pretty crippling. And he said for so long, he, he felt like he had to avoid or even overcome the anxiety. But he gives this analogy that one day he realized it was like he was walking along and behind him in, in every back little corner, there was this anxiety just creeping, hunting him down, waiting to take him down whenever it could. And he said, eventually, instead of trying to outrun it or hide from it, I realized I had to turn around and confront it, call it out of the shadows, and be honest about its existence, acknowledge that it was there. And when I did, I got a lot better at handling it. And I think that's important for us. If we can acknowledge that there's times that we all change, that we all become someone we're not, and we begin to be honest about those times, I think that's when we can begin to control it better. And I also want to say this. This past week, we celebrated Mental Health Day, where we brought awareness to the fact that mental illness is all around us, but there's help available. And I encourage you, seek out a counselor or a therapist. If you guys have heard me speak for a while, you know this is something that I'm passionate about. You know, our brains are the most complex things in the world. You know, scientists are still learning to understand how our brains work. So much of it is still a mystery. And there is no shame in saying that I need help getting my brain to do what I need it to do. I mentioned earlier, I'm a nerd, I'm a tech guy. Do you know how many times people come to me and say, I don't know how to get my tablet or my laptop or my phone to do what I need it to do. Would you help me? And if we can ask for that when it comes to a tablet or a laptop or a phone, then we should be able to ask the same when it comes to something far more advanced, our brains. 
if we are struggling to control a part of our body, so we go to physical therapy, then we should be able to do the same when it comes to our brains. To be able to go to a counselor or a therapist and say, I need help learning how to control my mind. And when we do that, we become better at knowing what makes us transform and how to prevent it, how to not become a monster. And I, begin, I, th- I really believe it. When we get honest with ourselves and we get the help that we need, we can stop transforming. And I think we need that now more than ever. The world needs to see Christians who know how to be like the good servant in that parable. The kind of servant that the master can leave in charge. And they're going to take care of things. The world needs to see us being responsible. Us setting a good example. Us being people of integrity when people are watching or not. I truly believe that right now, especially as we're in the midst of the chaos of another election, with all this tension around us, I think that the world needs to see that now more than ever. And on on an everyday level, our families need to see that. Our kids, our youth need to see us being people of integrity. And if we're not careful and we become someone else, someone other than who God's created us to be, it not only hurts us, it hurts them. And it hurts our witness as Christians and it makes it harder for the faith to grow and for people to find hope in Christ. And so that is my prayer for us this morning that we can acknowledge the werewolves in our lives, whether that's the people around us or ourselves, and we can begin to look for ways to help people know who God created them to be and how to live like that. And dear God, that's my prayer today, that we can be who we were created to be, that we can live like you called us to live, that we can acknowledge that there are places and times and influences that can cause us to transform into something else. But through a combination of the silver bullet of Scripture and learning how to control those transformations, we can not be monsters but that we can change lives with Jesus' love. That we can trust Jesus, grow as disciples, and bless others. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us this week. I'll see you guys next week.